do me a favour. If you're listening to this, please hit the subscribe button. Like, share, rate, review the podcast. It really does mean more than you realise. We worked a lot with businesses who maybe did just have an idea, but it was how they articulated that idea. And, you know, why had they actually, why were they starting this business? Why did they want to? And, and more like sort of what you're doing, businesses that actually have a story to tell about why they have started that business was always quite intriguing. So when this opportunity came along, a lot of my colleagues thought I was mad because it was a completely different thing going to work in this tiny little team. There was only seven of us, I think, when I joined. And then, yeah, just, I mean, you asked me what, what we were looking for in those those people that we worked with. But also, from my perspective, I, I know I learned so much about myself. Um, really pushing myself out my comfort zone massively. And the one we held down here, we held it at the cricket club. And um, Panina was actually our guest speaker there, Panina Shepherd. And I'll never forget one, the one thing that Panina said. And she, one of her first slides that she put up was the word fear. Um, and she said that everything that you have ever wanted is on the other side of fear. The one thing that we really created in, in the hubs was a real sense of community. It's definitely that sense of if you'd actually work together, you can, you can actually um, reach more people as well and have a bigger impact in that way. So, yeah, I'm very much, I think I always have been, I'm, I'm very much all about collaboration and where I can orchestrate collaborations or partnerships then I do um, because yeah I, I believe in it always has a positive outcome. It was a really hard time actually for me back in South Africa and a lot of people here um, and I only realized since I come back and even talking to you that people were actually quite sad that I left which I didn't even think of it back that I just thought oh, I'm going off to do this thing now and I'm going to be you know, everything's going to work out and I'm going to be accepted back there. And it wasn't. I, I went through some very, very dark times when I was back there because I was, my money was running out. I wasn't working. South Africa, as I say, has no support system in terms of benefits or anything. It wouldn't have enabled me to, to appreciate a lot more of what I actually have here. I'm so appreciative of what I have in the UK because I saw a very different side of life in South Africa and how people struggle there. And I'm very grateful for my life here. I believe every business owner has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picture Book Films. Okay, welcome to another episode of the County Business Talks podcast. So, my guest on the podcast this week has been helping entrepreneurs to kickstart and launch their business for many years. After a long career as a relationship and business development director with Royal Bank of Scotland, she spent two of those years involved in setting up and managing an entrepreneurial accelerator, working with over a thousand entrepreneurs at all stages of growth, from pre-revenue to higher growth and scale businesses. The accelerator helped generate around 12 million of turnover and 7 million of investments. Through management of the key partnerships with the University of Sussex and Brighton University, the Accelerator created internship opportunities and generated over 300 jobs within Brighton. After moving back to Cape Town, where she grew up in 2018 for a few years, in October 2020, she returned to the UK and the Sussex business community is lucky to have her back. It has been a pleasure getting to know her over the past few months and I'm delighted 
to welcome Fiona Anderson to the podcast. <laughs> Fiona, Thanks, how are you? Sam. Wow, that's a great intro, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's great to have you on. It's so strange, isn't it? We, we, our paths had never really crossed previously. And I then know. since you'd come back, we get bumping into each other and it was so great to finally meet up and have a coffee and get to know you a bit more and um I've, yeah been really excited about having you on so thanks for coming in no thank you it's been and a great opportunity and as you say yeah just our paths um i think obviously i came back in lockdown but even before that before i left yeah. our paths never really crossed yeah. so yeah so, it, is, it has been great yeah. getting to know you awesome well look, let's as always we're going to delve straight in just to tell the listeners a little bit about you and your story um, yeah, well, where do I start? As you can hear, I'm not from here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm from South Africa, grew up in South Africa. Um, but probably a little snippet no one re- knows about me is that I was born in Zimbabwe. So wow. um, to Scottish parents. So um, I could actually have three passports if I wanted. <laughs> yeah. I could have a, I've got a British passport, which I've always had. I'm very um, grateful for that. I could have a Zimbabwean passport, but don't really see a, a need for that. And I've obviously got South African passport. Sure, sure. So, yeah, my parents um, went over to South Africa in the late 60s from Scotland shortly after they got married. And because they needed skilled labor out there, my father worked in the printing industry. And then my mother, um, and then he got an offer in Zimbabwe. So they moved mm. there, and then I was born there. And then we moved back to Cape Town when I was two. So right, right. I was brought up and grew up in Cape Town. Um, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah, um, wow. What was life growing up in Cape Town? How, how uh, it was quite. Uh, it was quite different, I suppose, to anything that that or to the way people think about it. Obviously, yeah, sure. yeah we had the sun all the time, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, although I do recall some bad winters with storms and things, but mostly very outdoor living. Went to the beach a lot. My mother always took us to the beach in the summer. Um, yeah. My friends. It was quite an innocent sort of upbringing i think um unfortunately my parents did get divorced when i was very young yeah um my i was five and my brother was only a baby he was about six months um and my father chose then not to have anything to do with my brother and i so it was what could have been a very difficult childhood but it kind of wasn't um My my mother's mother came to live with us. So actually, just before my brother was born, she came out from Scotland right. um, on the mail boat with her right. trunks and everything. <laughs> and um, yeah, so she came to live with us, and she basically sort of brought my brother up because in South Africa, there's no um, benefit system. There's no free anything. Yeah, um, yeah. You pay for schooling, you pay for medical, you pay for everything. So my mother really had to go out and work. So and I'd started school. Um, so I kind of think my, my childhood is very much a memory of my, my gran always being there. Yeah. Um, me kind of taking the role of very much looking after my brother. Um, and yeah, I just kind of muddled through, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but one of, one of the, the really positive things that I, I will always take from my childhood is, is the friends that I had at school. Oh, okay. Um, I wouldn't say that I particularly enjoyed school. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <You and> me both. <laughs> and my report cards would always say, Fiona could do better. <laughs> yeah. or, Fiona needs to apply herself more, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I had two fantastic friends who I am still really good friends with, with both of them. So yeah. we've been friends since we were like eight and nine. Um, and we were just like a little kind of posse, I suppose, making our way through school. Yeah. and. 
Um, yeah, as I say, I'm forever grateful, really, for for that my mother enabled us to still have a really good education. Yeah. You know, we went both went to good schools and we had a really good education. Yeah. Um, my brother went to university. I went to the equivalent here of like a polytechnic yeah. and did a, a human resources diploma, which I've never used in wow. any, in any <laughs> What made you life. decide to do, do that? Um, I don't know. Actually, I wanted to do interior design, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but my art teacher at school, I'd done art all through high school, and she didn't really like me. So well, she didn't like me and my two friends because yeah. we always were a bit disruptive in class. <laughs> and, um, yeah, she she never really gave me high marks. or So I didn't really feel confident because for the interior design course, she needed to put forward a portfolio. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel very confident at all in doing that because of my poor marks and what she'd kind of installed in me. So I didn't do that. Because I, I, I actually I listened to another podcast that um, only recently, and was talking about that, and that that teachers actually don't realise potentially the the power that they have over children and the influence they have over children, and, uh, and even the whole grading system and how it works here and not whether similar in South Africa. But that that like as a as a child, you get marked down on something yeah, and yeah. you see that as potentially a failure and how yeah. much that can affect you moving forward and in your life and I think they just don't really like that obviously I'm not I'm having all teachers because there's some teachers that really inspire, inspire children, children don't they? Yeah. And, and take them there but I think that it's fascinating to hear there's so many people that actually come on and have a chat to me about it and I was similar as well I've done okay at school but I don't think I engaged necessarily as well as maybe, you know, academically I wasn't seen as that overly intelligent. And I no. think that stayed with me for all of my life, really. I still talk about myself in that way now. And, like, you know, I'm not the most articulate person in the world and, I, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. But that's come really from such a young age, and from teachers. Yeah. From, and I, yeah, and you're so, you're so right. Yeah. I just think, and, and maybe back then, you know, that was in the, the 80s, um, and yeah, you know, teachers maybe I don't know. There was like a different focus, or no. I don't know. But it was very much all through my, through my high school um, schooling. I was very much just just kind of muddled along. I yeah, just yeah. went to class and kind of you know did what I had to do to get through. I didn't really didn't excel, and I you know I could have. Yeah. I know that because my brother was a very academic child. You wouldn't yeah. think we were actually from the same family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my, my brother was the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he was very academic, um, you know, excelled and went to university and got yeah. distinctions and then um, went on to do an honours degree and then his master's when he moved to New Zealand. And mm. um, he studied forestry, did a, a BSc forestry. And yeah, he's gone on to do great things. But yeah, I just think I, if I had applied myself, I could have got amazing grades and mm. then who knows what would have happened. But I don't have any regrets about what's happened in my life mm. and the journey, the course my life's taken. That's really, but what I think that the key is that had that, had you just had a different teacher who maybe engaged you in a different way, especially from the art, for example, your art teacher didn't engage with you that well and think on well so but had they and you really they may have you may have gone into that, that other path exactly. and they could have inspired you whereas you had a negative experience from that because you look at it because they looked at you in a different way and yeah. you just didn't engage in the way that they were teaching so yeah. I find it and that's what not a problem with the education system I talk about it on here a lot about it the way the education system is and the way we're grading and I just think there's got to be a, an alternative 
for, for me agree. personally. I think yeah, there's got to be, and it's, but it's got to change from the top all the way down. And it's there's, somehow it's got because even like my my twins are seven, and we got a call from the school saying that you know like Sienna is really academic, she's oh, she's doing really well, and but Luca does he loses focus and not and and you know almost labelled at seven years old that he's a little bit behind, and I'm like he's seven years old, and I yeah. kind of, I get a bit of frustration about it, and I want to I. I as much as I, I don't want him to be behind because I want him to be with his peers, but I just, part of me goes, well, maybe he's just not engaging in the way that it's yeah, been taught. Yeah, that's so, prescripted yeah. or whatever. Because, yeah, children are very much, um, you, you do have children who are more creative. Yeah, absolutely. And then there are children, and maybe some are more sporty or mm. some are more um, academic, as yeah. you've said. Yeah. Um, I'd, yeah, I wasn't any of those, really. I wasn't creative, <laughs> sporty or academic. Yeah. Uh, maybe a mix of the three, I don't know. Mm. But it, it wasn't really... Um, and I did go to a school where sport was quite highly on the agenda. Yeah, sure. um, but I just did what I had to do. But, yeah, you know, yeah. And just to tick the box. But yeah, you know, to answer your question, I think I had a fantastic upbringing in South Africa. I couldn't have asked for more because, you know, when I think about it sometimes, when my parents got divorced, mm. um, my mother had only really been living there for... Uh, maybe about 10 years. Mm. No, not even. No, three or four years when, when no, sorry, I'm, I'm mm. trying to think. Eight, yeah, eight or nine years she'd been living there. And it would have been so easy for her to come back here to Scotland yeah, yeah, um, sure. because that's the country she knew. She yeah. could have come back here, gone on to benefits, gone, you know, my her mother would have been yeah, nearby. Yeah. But then my brother and I would probably have ended up, and this is the reality of it, and I'm not, you know, putting anyone down or poo-pooing anything but the reality is we would have probably grown up on a council estate in Glasgow yeah, yeah sure because and that's a completely different that's where she would have gone back to yeah. and that's that would have been a completely different as you've just said you know that film Sliding Doors yeah, it would have been absolutely. my life would have taken a completely different um, yeah. route well yeah. firstly I wouldn't be speaking with this accent yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you probably wouldn't be able to understand <laughs> yeah, yeah, me because yeah, I'd be speaking with a strong Glaswegian accent me and Essex Twang we'd have definitely had some <laughs> subtitles on here we would have had to have had a translator <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah I'm, I'm very grateful for my upbringing in South Africa you know a lot of people do ask me how how could you have lived there with all the apartheid and everything that was going on but the reality was I was a child I yeah. I wasn't aware of what was going on outside of my environment. Yeah, and sure. and that was partly what the, the South African government did. They kept kept us very sort of divided. Yeah, um, sure. And the media and stuff was very restricted. So we didn't even have television in South Africa. We got television in South Africa in 1975. Wow. wow. So we were very restricted in terms of news and being exposed to yeah. the outside world. Um, so yeah, we only got television when I was six. Wow, wow! Um, and then it was the test pattern. You know, we'd sit there until six o'clock. It came on, and then it was on. The, it was only transmitted for two hours. Half an hour of that was the news, and then there was like a children's program, and then something else, and then it went <laughs> off again at eight. So wow. yeah, it was an interesting upbringing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and then when so, so and and when, when did you then come from South Africa? When did you come over to the UK? So initially, I first came over in 1993, actually, yeah. when I finished studying and there was a whole group of friends and it was like the trend then with most South Africans. When you finished studying, you came over to the UK, UK yeah, London yeah. for a year or two, then you could get two-year working visa. Yeah. 
So and I, but I was lucky; I had a passport, so yeah, it didn't yeah. matter. But yeah, so I came over in February '93. I'll never forget. I left South Africa. It was about thirty odd degrees, and landed in London, and it was two degrees. <laughs> it oh, was wow. horrendous. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. My first experience of real cold. And then, yeah, my, my friend I was with at the time, we she'd been here, here the year before, and we decided we were going to just look for work in, in a pub. Yeah. That was the thing to do as well. All the Aussies, Kiwi, South Africans came here and worked in pubs. And we ended up working in a really cool pub called The Rising Sun in um, the city of London, so quite close yeah. to Smithfield's um, meat okay, market. Okay, yeah, 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 I know. Um, and it was very close to the Royal Mail Depot as well. So yeah. the Royal Mail guys would come in. They were like the first to come in when the pub opened at 11. Yeah. And, yeah, we worked there for, I think, four or five months until the summer um, and had the, the best time ever. It was run by an Australian guy. There was a Kiwi guy and his girlfriend who worked there um, yeah. in the kitchen. And then there was an English guy who um, sort of helped behind the bar and did a lot of the washing up and stuff. And we, yeah, yeah we were a great sort of little trio of um, Antipodean people there yeah, yeah, yeah. in the middle of the city of London. Amazing. Um, so yeah, so I did that and then and then my, one of my other friends who come over, we decided to go traveling Europe, um, which didn't really get very far. We went, <laughs> we went, got the ferry across to, um, oh, I can't remember where now, it's somewhere uh, and then landed and went to Amsterdam. But we landed in Amsterdam on a bank holiday weekend and hadn't booked any accommodation, so you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. um, tried to find accommodation unsuccessfully, ended up going on the train outside of Amsterdam and then met this Canadian guy who was randomly wandering around also looking for accommodation. And we ended up getting a hotel and he paid for the hotel for us. Amazing. He was a really nice, very nerdy guy. He was so <laughs> lovely. And yeah, we he insisted Kath and I have the double bed and he had like a little camp bed in the room. <laughs> Fair play. <to> uh, <laughs> yeah. And then we traveled through Holland a bit and went up to the islands north of um, Holland and then decided we were going to go to to uh, Belgium. So I went to Bruges for all the chocolate mainly. Nice, nice. And then, yeah, and then I knew somebody in Brussels, so we went to Brussels, and then we decided we were going to go to France, but we couldn't get that back then. There was no, obviously, no internet, no yeah, nothing. Sure. So it was phoning uh, youth hostels in Paris to try and get some accommodation, and no one would speak English to us. Yeah, we yeah. couldn't understand what they were saying, so we sort of gave it up and said, "Okay, well, let's just go back to London." So we did. Um, cool. Yeah, and then so I was here for 93, 94. I was here for nearly two years. And during that time, I actually met a Kiwi guy. We ended up going and working down in Cornwall for a summer, which was amazing. Yeah. Traveled a bit with him, went to Egypt and Israel. And yeah, I can't remember where else I went with him. And then I went back to South Africa at the end of 94. Okay. Yeah, and then ended up working there in the motor industry, strangely. Worked for VW dealership. Yeah. Um, and then I came back here in 2001. And that's where, in 2001, that's where the bank, what, what made you want to come back in 2001? Um, my mother had come back here in 2000. Oh, okay. So she had retired um, from South Africa. And unfortunately, with her financial situation, she really hadn't been able to pay much into a pension during her life. So with the amazing system here because she was a British um, citizen. Yeah, she yeah. was able to pay, top up her, her national insurance and be able to claim um, claim benefits. So yeah. she came back in 2000 and ended up settling in Somerset because she had a really good friend there. And then also at, around that time, I had quite a few friends who were, were here. They'd either yeah. ended up staying here or would come over. 
Um, and I was a bit bored with my job and I just thought, oh, you know, I've got a, a British passport. Why don't I just go come back, come back over and see see what happens? And yeah. then I was here for well, 17 years before yeah. I decided to go back again for those few years. So, that, yeah. That, and that was when, obviously, when you come back and that's when you got into banking, was there World Bank of Scotland and worked for for a period there. Um, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm keen to obviously go... It's obviously a, a, a long time at a bank, but obviously one thing I'm really keen to find out about is the amount of entrepreneurs you've worked with, obviously getting involved with the entrepreneurial spark. Yeah, and yeah. Was. So yeah. in sort of two, 2015, you obviously helped set up, manage that and, and, and set that up. But obviously one of one of your roles within that was the um, was obviously screening the applicants for yeah. the entrepreneurs. So I'm keen to find out like what, what sort of things did you look for in applicants for a, a businesses and entrepreneurs and yeah stuff. it was really interesting actually because um entrepreneurial spark was a completely different accelerator at the time mm. to anything else that was out there so yeah. it was actually started in 2013 by a scottish um guy called jim duffy and jim had been to mit um oh. and had observed it had done like a fellowship then observed how mit worked with entrepreneurs mm. and how they very much worked with their mindset and with their their growth and, you know, really kind of um, focusing on that sort of fire in the belly, yeah, you know, that if sure. you've got that drive and that fire in the belly, you can make anything happen yeah, um, yeah. as long as you believe in it. So he came back here and then he was very lucky to um, get some support from, um, oh no, I can't remember his name. It's He's a very, very well-known entrepreneur and philanthropist in Scotland who gave him some off, some space, like yeah. a whole massive floor of an office building in Glasgow. And so Jim set up the first accelerator up there. Wow. And then strangely, my director at the time was, he was actually the regional director of business banking in Scotland. So he had like 300 people reporting to him. And he'd wow. gone to an event and met Jim speaking at this event, was hugely inspired by what he was doing. And at the time, the bank was still recovering from, <clears throat> excuse me, the 2008 fallout of when yeah, of course, you know yeah, everything yeah. had gone um pear-shaped so, yeah. um, <laughs> and yeah so my my director ended up having a chat to jim and saying you know thought wish there were ways that we could work with or the bank could work with him yeah. and the bank ended up forming a partnership with entrepreneurial spark which really was very way out there for the yeah. bank because it wasn't anything that they'd ever done before Wow. Um, and it happened really quickly as well. My director got approval within a couple of months, which does not happen in the bank. Yeah, and then I was, I had come back to Brighton. I'd been working in London for two years and then came back, had come back here and I was, I didn't really enjoy what I was doing. And I heard about this opportunity to start this. They wanted to start an accelerator in, in Brighton. Yeah. At the time there was two in Scotland. There was um, Birmingham, and then they were going to open Leeds, Bristol, and Brighton all at the same time. Wow. And so I thought, yeah, why not go? One of my colleagues told me about it, and I was like, yeah, you know, let's just go and see what it's all about. And I was so fortunate to get the job um, because it really did change my life. But, yeah, to answer your question, we in, in the first round of um, entrepreneurs that we, we had to interview, so mm. we, we, we held a, a sort of stakeholder event at the Amex where we invited all kinds of people from Brighton to talk about what we were doing. Mm. Then we put it out on social media for people to apply. And then I think we had over 200 applications for the first um, intake, and we could yeah. only take 60 businesses. Right. So it was a case of myself and the entrepreneurial spark had two what they called enablers or like coaches working for um, for them. So the three of us 
were basically responsible for then screening these applications. And there were some that we immediately just kind of, you know, threw out because the business was maybe either too way too early stage yeah. or, the, you know, that hadn't come across very clearly really about what the business was or what their so idea. Looking for that, that, that definition of it's like a, a company that knew exactly who, who they were, what, what they was about. Or... Yeah, well, well, not even that, Sam. It was more about because we worked a lot with businesses who maybe did just have an idea, but oh, okay. it was how they articulated that idea and you know why had they actually why were they starting this business why did they want to and and more like sort of what you're doing businesses that actually have a story to tell about why they have started that business was always quite intriguing but the ones that we actually then ended up interviewing face to face um as i say it was very much spotting almost immediately that that real passion and that that you know as we said fire in the belly about you know this person maybe the the business isn't that clear and they haven't really thought through their plan how they're getting this product to market or whatever but they've you can tell they've got that drive and they're open to coaching as well they were open Mm. to ideas and open to being helped yeah because I guess that's the tricky thing, isn't it? There's some people that maybe come in with that drive. I've got this idea and that drive and determination, but 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 and they won't listen to that. They they're not open to to coming in and taking on education. I guess in that sense mm. and and saying like because we're whatever level you're at as an entrepreneur, whatever part of the, of the journey you are, we're always still learning, aren't we? Exactly. Be, like you know, none of I've been running businesses for thirteen years. I'm still winging it and don't have a clue. <laughs> still want to chat to people. You're doing it very well, Sam. <laughs> but, yeah. but I think that's that's the cow. I think that's that's really interesting that you say that. Like just seeing that those traits in someone that because ultimately you've got to have that drive and determination. You've got to have that, like you say, that fire in your belly. But being open to to want to learn more from experienced people that can come yeah. in and point you in the right direction is is quite key. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, through all the, the entrepreneurs that we worked with, there was also ones who just who you've said, you could see they weren't open to to changing or learning. And those are the ones who then really struggled with things like getting investment, mm-hmm. um, with attracting or retaining staff or yeah. people to work for them, because they were so close minded about what, you know, yeah, just about taking on or learning or or changing and adapting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was a very interesting experience for me because I had always felt in the bank um, that I didn't really quite fit into the typical bank. Ma- like I never saw myself as a bank manager. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I I was always wanting to do something else. So when this opportunity came along, a lot of my colleagues thought I was mad yeah. because it was a completely different thing going to work in this tiny little team. There was only seven of us, I think, yeah. when I joined. And then, yeah, just, I mean, you asked me what, what we were looking for in those those people that we worked with, but also... From my perspective, I I know I learned so much about myself. Yeah, sure. Um, really pushing myself out my comfort zone massively. And that's such a key learning for all of us. Or whatever, again, about whatever stage of life we're at, whatever stage of business or journey we're at. Like, that's the only way we grow, isn't it? By pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone and going, oh, I just want to, because it's it's quite safe to be sitting there you get up every day and you do what you know and you do it and you do it well and it's great i'll get paid for that and it's but then 
change and exciting things can happen if you just step out that little bit. And, yeah. And that's a brave thing to do, I guess, as well. Like for you, especially being in the bank for so long, doing a similar type of role, I guess. Yeah, um, I didn't move between sort of divisions, but yeah, I was yeah. always a relationship manager working yeah, sure. with businesses. And it was very, quite a structured sort of role. Sure. Um, so yeah, it was definitely pushing me uh, yeah. way out of my comfort zone. Um, and constantly, every single time, I mean, I, I was talking in front of people. I've never had to do that ever, stand up and talk in front of groups of people. Yeah. And and every single time I did it, I was I was an absolute nervous wreck. You know, like yeah. I wouldn't sleep the night before. I'd be so on edge and nervous. But as soon as I got up there and and spoke, then I was fine. Yeah. Um, they say that then it's a good thing to be a bit nervous. Mm. Start with the best, the best speakers. They, you know, feel a little bit get their nerves and and get up and and stand up and, and talk to people. And because it is, it's just it's one of those things, isn't it? Like again, that comfort zone thing. Because you strike me like as we've met a few times, obviously at networking events. You strike me as such a confident person and someone <laughs> like you know who wouldn't get nervous about standing up in front. Of talking in front of people but and but people would say the similar to about me but i did like i think i mentioned like you when i've done my talk at the sussex business show yeah my yeah first keynote, i was like ricking it to be honest yeah, like, I was I like, but it, you do you come out of that and you, and you do it and you hopefully you grow in confidence with them things but yeah. well i think you do and i think part of the confidence is is being confident in yourself that you know your your subject matter Mm. Um, you know yeah. what you're talking about, whereas a lot of people in the room don't necessarily know. Yeah, 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 so they yeah. are listening to you, yeah, um, yeah. which sometimes is a bit even more scary that they're listening to you. <laughs> but I'll never actually forget because um, we held what the bank ended up doing, which was absolutely fantastic for the staff. Mm. Um, we actually ended up developing an entrepreneur academy, that, as we called it, for the staff. So mm. there was online modules, everything that we, the entrepreneurs learned in the hub so they learned about obviously doing their pitch, you know, to, yeah. to, to potential investors or funders. Um, they learned about the lean model. They learned about growth mindset, all of those kinds of things. And we used to run, um, we put a lot of those modules online so the staff could access them and learn. And then mm -hmm. we also ran um, day, we ran a whole day where the staff would come and we would put them through a, a day of learning their pitch. At the end of the day, they had to stand up and do a pitch. Um, and yeah, it was a very interactive, interesting day. And the one we held down here, we held it at the cricket club. And um, Panina was actually our guest speaker there, Panina Shepherd. Yeah, yeah, and I'll never forget one the one thing that Panina said. And she, one of her first slides that she put up was the word fear. Um, and she said that everything that you have ever wanted is on the other side of fear. And it's all about overcoming that fear. Yeah. And I can't remember the F E A and R like stand for something, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know you know yeah, her really she, well. Yeah, so she probably... come. I, I, that, that exact thing. She's uh, she sat here and we had uh, she uh, episode six or whatever. Yeah, we had a we had a chat and she said exactly that about the the, the fear. And yeah, it's just on the other side. It's yeah. just on the other. It's, but I mean that for a lot of people can be a very very fearful yeah. <laughs> thing in itself is yeah. overcoming that um it's what holds us back isn't it's, it? it's massively yeah. what holds us back um yeah. so yeah. yeah um so i've been very inspired by a lot of the people that i've worked with yeah sure so was there 
thinking back, like especially maybe them first ones that come in or, or through the journey of running that program, is there any businesses, success stories or people that really stick out in your mind that business that run? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, strangely enough, Sam, I'm actually now really good friends with a few of those people who came through our first um, sure. first intake. I actually count them as very close friends of mine. Yeah. Um, so, and they are, and this isn't being sexist, but they are all women um, yeah. because we ended up, strangely enough, in the Brighton Hub, we ended up having more women um, startups or entrepreneurs than men that compared to the rest of the country, the other wow. sort of eight or nine or as the hubs grew, there was always more women in Brighton than yeah. the other hubs. So we ended up um, doing some different sort of workshops and getting uh, guest speakers in very much to focus That's on yeah, helping, helping women, women yeah, build themselves yeah. and, and um, you know, promoting themselves. So, um, yeah, as I say, there's there's a few of of the, the women that um, were certainly who were in our first and second intakes that I'm still very good friends with and count as very close friends. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so there was a very young guy who was in our first intake. Everybody was quite shocked the fact that we'd even, even taken him on. He was only 14. Wow. Um, his name was Adam, and I can't remember what his surname was now, but he came with his dad. And his dad had, you could tell his dad was also an entrepreneur and yeah. they'd been very involved in sort of property development and all kinds of things. And what yeah. Adam's business was, um, he was a young um, Pakistani guy, had been born here, his parents were from Pakistan, but he, his business was to actually develop and um, design cards specifically for um, Muslim and Pakistani traditions, oh, okay. which yeah. you couldn't often find in normal card sure. shops yeah. or in normal. And also then the whole, the business kind of ended up developing into the whole kind of thing for um, for the, those events. Yeah, um, yeah. Everything that you could buy, all the decorations and all that kind of thing. But he was such, he was a really confident guy for being 14, but also just so humble and mm. took on every opportunity that he possibly could to learn. Okay. You know, he attended every single event that we had. And sometimes, I mean, you, you wouldn't believe it because everything we did was free. Nobody paid for anything because mm. the bank was paying for sponsoring it. And some people often wouldn't come to some of the events, even though they were free. And we right. were sort of like, well, you know, we're not forcing you to, but if you don't come, then you're not actually going to stay on the program because yeah. you're going to miss, really, miss you're it. Gonna like, miss out. If you're going to sign up for something like that, you want to, yeah, be involved. Yeah. yeah, but Adam was one of those. He just absorbed everything that you threw his way. Yeah. Um, we were always kind of, I mean, the poor bloke, but we were always pulling him into like sort of showcasing him as like a rising star yeah. in the. And one, the one thing the bank did at the end of each kind of intake, because there were only um, six months at a time, they, we had an award ceremony and we would actually give away money um, in different categories to, to some of the entrepreneurs. And he mm. got, I can't remember what it was, but he won £5,000 for, you know, a 14-year-old wow. for his That's business amazing. to win yeah, £5,000. Yeah. But he was so grateful for it. Everything yeah. that we did, he was so grateful for it. And amazing. and so was his father. Um and I don't know actually what he's gone on to do. I must I must actually look on his LinkedIn profile because he was definitely one of those who you just knew he was going to be gonna successful, be successful yeah, in yeah, whatever yeah. he did in life. His brother, I think, yeah, he had an older brother who had at the age of 16 been accepted into Oxford and was a, a music, he was like a music protege, was like sort of writing music at the age of 12 and... Mm. 
was a highly, you know, so it came from a really, um, you know, uh, very creative and highly academic and intelligent family. family. Yeah, sure. But yeah, he will always, Adam will always stand out to me and sorry to anyone else who's listening and I haven't mentioned you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he will always stand out to me as being the true epitome, I think, of a, an entrepreneur. Yeah. I love and that. at such a young age. It's, I think that's the key, isn't it? It's such a young, and, and what, what, what I love about that is that how much that, programs like because i'm assuming that obviously wasn't an age limit there or maybe there, no, there, there, wasn't. there wasn't so no, that, wasn't. That, that's what's brilliant because i, I people always say like i, I was always going to be a footballer when i was young and if i didn't when i didn't become a footballer i, was like, I haven't got a clue what i wanted to do but i i've mentioned it so many times i go like i couldn't even spell entrepreneur back then let alone it wasn't encouraged like it wasn't how it is now no it has been the last sort of five ten years um so there wasn't those opportunities you didn't really see. And I think, I'd, I just wonder what my life would have been like had I at 16 went, left school and gone, but there was something like that, an entrepreneurial spark. Yeah, right? Or yeah. somewhere that encouraged entrepreneurship. Would I have responded to that if it was in schools or wherever? Would I have responded to that and gone, oh, that is me? Because I think that's always been inside me and it wasn't until later that sort of come out. So, But just because it wasn't encouraged, it just seemed like a distant you know, uh, thing that we'd be able to achieve. That's brilliant. And I love that that you've mentioned that someone of fourteen has come in, and yeah. that's that's what stuck out. That's, that's really brilliant. Yeah, I think what I'm, I'm keen as well because obviously you've been up. You know, we mentioned that in, in the intro, thousands of entrepreneurial well, people that come through and businesses that you helped grow and stuff. What what um was there some key traits that you you recognised in? in people as successful leaders, entrepreneurs like Adam or people like that along them lines. Is there was there key key parts that you noticed in them that you you, you, you could see? I think a lot of the, the time, Sam, it, it was which I felt that I didn't have in me myself, was that they were prepared to actually firstly take a risk yeah. and to really pursue something that they one hundred percent believed in. And sometimes, as I said to you in the beginning, maybe you were sort of like, this is never going to be a business because mm. it's, but you sort of admired them for even just trying and yeah. kind of trying to pursue something that was a passion to them yeah, yeah. Um, and turn it into a business. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was certainly the, the element of risk taking. Yeah. You know, a lot of the time people left sort of very um, stable jobs and, and to pursue this business or to start this business. Um, but then also the, yeah, the the resilience, it's really, and I think it's probably come a lot more to light in recent years, how mm. resilient people are in, yeah. through all the academic, the pandemic and everything that's been thrown at so many people. But just really seeing seeing how a lot of the, the businesses, they didn't um, back down when they weren't maybe successful at, at um, raising investment or they yeah. weren't successful in you know maybe they were trying to get their product or service into another market and that yeah. wasn't successful upon the first attempt yeah. um yeah and just the, the one thing that we really created in in the hubs was a real sense of community yeah. um which a lot of businesses that have left and i've bumped into them subsequently have said that they're really miss that yeah. in other places that they've then gone to work in or been a part of. So everybody really supported each other, no matter what their background was or what their business was. Mm. People ended up working together sometimes and supporting each other. So I, 
yeah, I really, I really spotted, as I say, a lot of um, resilience, people not refusing to take no for an answer yeah, sometimes yeah. and yeah. being that real sort of, not the comeback kid, but sort of the just trying and trying again. Yeah. Um, not, but, yeah, not backing down. I, th- I think, like you said, you alluded to that with, with the, it's been highlighted so much throughout the pandemic that, you know, how many businesses has, have pivoted, how many businesses, are, you know, unfortunately some businesses have failed, but how many of them business owners have come back and gone and done something else or, and it is re- resilience and uh, it's probably the, the buzzword of, of the pandemic, wasn't it? Especially within the business community. Yeah. How much we're, because we had to, and everyone, because we was all in the same boat. Every exactly. business owner was in the same boat and had to, uh, you know, and let, don't get me wrong, there were some businesses that flourished during the pandemic as well. So you've got, you've got them, but the, the majority of us were up against it and, and struggled. And, yeah. But, Again, like you mentioned about sense of community and certainly from my point of view, I look at how much the community comes together. The business community, we've spoke about it offline, how amazing it is here in Sussex. Oh, it is. It's brilliant. The the support that people were able to offer and everyone wanted to come together. And have you you still, do you you see as we come out of the pandemic that that's, that's still there and that's been stronger than ever really and we're still going that collaborative route as opposed to people going oh we're okay now and we're, you know what I mean um I, I think there's a bit of a mix really I, I have seen I have seen I think those people that maybe missed the the sort of networking and the face-to-face community yeah. side have certainly embraced and maybe appreciated more yeah, you know sure. the networks that they have and mm. the um that meeting up and sort of sense of community um, I do still think, certainly in Brighton, that there they could be more collaboration yeah. between a lot of organisations that are all kind of doing similar things. Yeah, um, because, But it's always been like that in Brighton, and it was very much like that in Cape Town when I went back to yeah. Cape Town. It was very – everyone in uh, – and in Brighton you often see it, people are sort of in silos. Yeah. Um, and I often, you know, if you take a helicopter view, you're sort of like, I just wish – you could work why don't you work together like you yeah. you actually are trying to do achieve the same outcome at the end of the day yeah and by pooling your resources you're going to be more successful yeah. um so yeah i think there could be more collaboration and and i'm not sure maybe after the since the pandemic and people coming more out of um you know working in their spare rooms and what have you yeah. people are like sort of still a bit shell shocked about it but I think, and, and even, you know, you and I are connecting again, There's there's been a lot of new opportunities and things yeah, that have come absolutely. out of yeah, the yeah. pandemic where people are have started a, a new successful business or something different. Yeah. And maybe there is a bit more support for that, but I still think I still think there could be a lot more collaboration. I, I, I really agree. And I, look, the reason we launched County Business Clubs was exactly that, really, that, I believe ultimately in collab- it's a collaborative community. That's what we want to try and build with county business clubs. We, you know, we're reaching out to the chambers and the other member. Organ- we're a member organisation, but yeah. we're not reinventing the wheel with what we're doing. We're a member organisation, but let's work together with other member organisations to ultimately benefit all of our members. Yeah, I think exactly. there's something so powerful in that. Um, and there has been some resistance from certain groups. And I still get, I get it because as a business, as a businessman, I still get the whole competition thing and 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 of course i'll get that well are you going to take some of our members and I yeah yeah I, I, I don't know my, my strong belief is if you do work together 
and you can work in a collaborative way. And, and a collaboration has got to be that it benefits both First, parties. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. the key thing for me that I've learned. And I, I've collaborated with people and sometimes you go, well, I'm actually doing all the work in this element and, and not getting much back. And that's not a great collaboration or partnership. So I think there's ways of doing it. But I, I completely agree with you. I think it, we were to take ourselves outside of our business from that helicopter view and think, oh, actually, you're doing that. You're, oh, we're doing this. We do it together. We've got a real, really yeah. strong partnership. Yeah, a strong partnership and yeah. enhancing, sort of enhancing each other's businesses. As you say, yeah. it's not that you're wanting to take members away from yeah, anyone else. No, it's because your offering is slightly different. Yeah. So there is that. Yeah, there is definitely that sense of if you'd actually work together, you can you can actually um, reach more people as well and have a bigger impact in that way. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm very much, I think I always have been, I'm, I'm very much all about collaboration yeah. and where I can orchestrate collaborations or partnerships, yeah. then I do. Um, I because, yeah, I, I believe in, it always has a positive outcome. Yeah, oh, I agree. I agree. I want, I want to talk, so there was two years there, or just over two years uh, with, with NatWest. And then in May 2018, you then took the decision to return to Cape Town. Mm. What? Why did that come about? Um, talk to me about that decision and the experience of going back. Well, I think, yeah, I think I had a bit of a midlife crisis, actually, Sam. <laughs> um, I, I am, that's why I'm wearing these baseball caps. I'm, like, I'm going through it in a minute. So like, <laughs> you went to Cape Town, I, I bought loads of baseball caps. Um, yeah, no, I, I'd been here for 17 years at that point, and um, my, my mother had passed away in 2010, and... Um, I think after she passed away, it kind of left a, a sort of question in my mind about do I it, it, do I belong here or do I belong back in South Africa? Like mm -hmm. where are my roots really? And I think I've always had that, um, not always had that feeling, but I think living in South Africa and growing up there, but having a Scottish mother mm -hmm. and my, my grandmother, because she was with us till I was 16, um, I always had that other... Um, influence of another culture. Yeah, sure. So, which which was lucky because it's actually served me really well with with moving here. You know, yeah. I, I kind of fitted in really well. But so I really had this this thing in the back of my head, like you know, is South Africa my home? Should I go back there? And I went back um, at the end of 2016 for a holiday, and ended up meeting a friend who at the time was working for um, a trust that worked with entrepreneurs. And mm. she ended up chatting to me and saying, you know, they were doing some amazing work in the ed education sector there. And she just kind of sparked this thing in me. So when I came back from my holiday, I actually said to my directors, would it be possible for me to take a sabbatical? Mm. And the bank uh, were very supportive. If you'd been 10 years service or more, then you, you they would give you a sabbatical, oh, um, anything yeah. up to six months. It wasn't paid, but um, so I took the opportunity actually went back for six months from the end of uh, from October 2017 till March 2018 and in that time I worked or more with this friend who was working in the entrepreneurship space met a whole lot of people and I thought oh you know there's a lot of value that I could actually add here to the businesses and the entrepreneurs um, in well in Cape Town but in South Africa from so more obviously from from the program. From yeah, the from my experience from yeah, the course, entrepreneurial yeah, yeah. spark program, but also my banking background and knowing all about yeah. cash flow and money and all of that yeah. kind of thing. So 
came, you know, resigned from the bank, um, which, you know, some people and in hindsight, I kind of think I was mad, resigning 17 years with the bank. And I went back to South Africa. And, you know, in hindsight now, I think what, you know, I was mad. But what I talked mentioned earlier about that risk and that yeah. fear, there was a massive anxiety for the whole year before I went. I was continuously anxious and yeah. like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And um, when I went back initially, I did, um, you know, I picked up a, um, a, a job working with somebody helping mentor some female entrepreneurs, mm. um, which didn't really work out very well because he ended up not paying me what he'd promised me and there was a whole lot of things. But I, I, w I went through that whole journey there of, of, of lots of um, kickbacks, lots of pushback from other people, mm. um, not really accepting me that I was South African. It was like, oh, well, you've been away for 17 years, so why, you, why have you come back? Um, really? And it was really, it was so disheartening. Yeah. I was very, um, I was sort of like, but I'm South African. And, yeah. but, and I, mean, I know here people think I speak with a very strong South African accent, but there people thought that I've got a more English accent. <laughs> and, and I was just, I just started getting this feeling of like, where do I belong? Yeah. Um, because whilst I was knocking on loads of doors for jobs, um, I would go through the whole process of having the interview and then I wasn't accepted for the job. Um, and mainly because the reality in South Africa is that there is a, um, they call it black economic empowerment, but where um, people from uh, backgrounds of, of color are, will, will get a job over a white person. And that, that's mm -hmm. just the reality of the way things are in South Africa yeah. because of the past. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. So that was hugely disheartening because I knew a lot of the jobs I was applying for, I was way overqualified, but yeah, yeah. wanted to do the job to kind of help people at the end of the day. Then I ended up doing some mentoring and I did try and start out on my own a bit, doing some consultancy, but I realized I can't work on my own. I'm somebody who loves being in part of a team and yeah. working with people. So yeah, I, I went through a really, it was a very, um, it was a really hard time actually for me yeah. back in South Africa. And a lot of people here, um, and I only realized since I've come back and even talking to you that people were actually, quite sad that I left, which I yeah. didn't even think of it like that. I just thought, oh, I'm going off to do this thing now and I'm going to be, yeah. you know, everything's going to work out and I'm going to be accepted back there. And it wasn't. Yeah. I, I went through some very, very dark times when I was back there because I was my money was running out. I wasn't working. South Africa, as I say, has no support system in terms of benefits or anything. Yeah, sure. um, I had a lot of friends there, but they, they also all had their lives. Yeah. So I ended up, Make, I made a lot of new friends, which is great. You know, I've now yeah, got yeah. new friends and new contacts there. But it was a, re a really, really hard time for me. It was a real struggle. Yeah, um, sure. Okay. Did you feel, I guess, at times maybe quite isolated there? Like, because, like I say, getting to know you and seeing, you know, how highly people speak of you within the business community and, and how you are when you're at events and, you know, smile on your face and always a great company to be around and you, you I guess I don't know if I'm wrong in saying but you, it seems like you feel at home here within the business community you, like you said I know people are happy to have you back etc so but taking yourself out of that where out of that environment where you was obviously well respected and 
helping so many people within within what you're doing with the program yeah. to then going into a different environment where you know like like you said somewhere you grew up where you're yeah. expecting that sort of acceptance and that wasn't there yeah and feeling quite isolated and, and not having that support network yeah you. yeah so yeah that oh massively of, sam mm. that's that is exactly how i felt and and as you've said you know i've always been somebody who's not i'm not a lot of people hate networking or don't even but i'm i've always been someone who quite enjoys networking yeah. i don't um i quite enjoy going and speaking to new people but I really struggled with that even there because people would be sort of like, oh, you're from, from the UK. Like the first question was always, why have you come back? Which was <laughs> always put a question in my mind like, well, because I, I mean, I know South Africa is going through its problems and will continue to do so. So it was almost like, why have you given up being there and then you've come back here? Yeah. And I always felt like I was having to justify myself, justify my decision yeah. um, to everybody. And it, eventually it just became too much it was just very i did feel very isolated um i didn't i didn't feel integrated into although cape town can be a very very clicky place yeah. so it is very much who what school you went to who you went to school with and wow. you know who you know yeah. um and i just really struggled fitting in and i thought eventually i thought like why am i doing this why am i here when i really missed i really missed brighton yeah, i really yeah, missed sure. my my community here, um, and luckily through the power of LinkedIn, you know, I was still staying in touch with people through yeah. LinkedIn, through my contacts. And yeah, then towards the end of 2019 was when I decided I'm going to come back yeah. and started reaching out to, to people via LinkedIn, just, you know, saying I'm, I'm looking to come back and, you know, do they know of anything in, well, obviously banking was my background. Yeah, so sure. kind of looking in that sector again, um, and obviously look at trawling through jobs. Um, and then, yeah, and then COVID hit. <laughs> so oh, wow. that How, was kind that of like, you, from, oh. a mental health, from a mental health point of view, I, I suppose, and a mindset point of view, knowing that I've come back here, it's not really worked out as I've planned. I've made a decision, well, I'm looking to go back, let's, let's reach out and see. And then obviously, bang, that hits. And you're like, I can't go anywhere now. Like, what, what, what's your mindset around that time? How, how was you feeling around then? Yeah, it was it was very hard. I felt probably even more isolated and kind of trapped in a way, yeah. um, because I didn't have a job. I hadn't been, um, I hadn't really been looking to take anything on because in my mind I was leaving. Yeah. So um, yeah, so money was really scarce at that point. So that was one of my biggest worries. Um, and then, yeah, just trying to uh, focus on the fact that well. I suppose we were all in it together sort yeah. of thing. And I was so lucky because I I was I was living on a friend's property, their very close friend from a long time ago who they had a little annex on their place. So I, I stayed there. And the, the three of us were sort of like a little pod um, because the, the lockdown in South Africa was very strict. You weren't wow. allowed out of your house for five weeks. Wow. So you could only go to do shopping or yeah. if you need a medical emergency or whatever. But other than that, you weren't allowed to do anything. You weren't allowed to exercise or leave your house. Yeah. And we were very lucky. It was quite a big house. There was a nice garden and a swimming pool. And so we 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 kind of joined, you know, we ate together and we, we spent a lot of time together yeah, yeah. exercising and chatting and what have you. So from that perspective, I felt it kind of brought me closer to especially to those friends but to yeah. people because we were all in it together yeah, yeah yeah 
Um, Getting that sense of community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We started once okay. a week. We would have dinner over the wall with our neighbours. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. would stand on. They had like a sort of structure next to the wall, and they would stand on there, and then and we would sit on our patio, and we would like have dinner over the wall, yeah. which was so funny, and drinks and. But yeah, and so there was a part of me when the sort of they eased the lockdown a bit. I was sort of a bit like, oh, now things are going to change again. Yeah. Um, but it was hard, Sam. It was because I did feel even more, and because no one knew how long it was going to last for. Yeah, sure. And, and I, especially, and I guess in your head, you made that decision. I want to go back now. And yeah. I, and so you, in your head, you're like, I need to get out of here, and I can't. Yeah. We're not allowed to. So yeah, yeah it was it was very very hard and you know then when they did lift um ease the restrictions a bit and we were allowed out to exercise and that kind of thing i was very lucky that i lived um close to the sea mm. and that's always been a massive thing for me and why i'm so grateful to live down here that yeah, the sea and walking by the sea and going in the sea has always been a big sort of calming influence for me yeah. um so i spent a lot of time going to the beach and yeah. Even though it was actually going into winter then, but Cape Town winters aren't that bad. Yeah, sure. No, no uh, luck here. <laughs> so yeah, it was really hard to keep that focus that this is going to end, and I am still going to be able to get back to the UK, mm. and I just needed to to try and focus on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, oh, thank you for sharing. I guess for me as well, I'm really keen. I know again we sort of spoke a little bit about this sort of offline, but um, looking at that. Because obviously being in in a role within the bank and having, like you said, that security, and then maybe being through the entrepreneurial spark, sort of being inspired by other people, and and that, like you said, that risk sort of taking, and then you sort of took that risk and gone back to Cape Town, and then it hadn't worked out. Like, did did you feel then by coming back to the UK, did you did you look at that period as a as a failure at all, or talk talk to me about that sort of side? Is that what? Um. Yeah, I think I think that I did feel quite a, a deep sense of shame, almost really? like, like yeah, I've gone back there and it hasn't worked out, and now I'm coming back here, you know, kind of yeah. with my tail between my legs. Um, yeah. But then, and that was more me think, you know, thinking yeah. that it wasn't that anybody said that to me; it was me thinking that. Yeah, um, we're our own worst critics sometimes, aren't we? Oh, absolutely, and. And so many people said to me there and here since I've come back, oh, but if you hadn't done it, then, you know, you'd regret it. Mm. And I'm kind of like, well, yeah, but it's, you know, it's actually set me back financially massively. Mm. Um, and so that's that's been a big, I think, also part of the shame is sort of giving up this, as you say, this great job at NatWest and the security and all of that. And then I just went and didn't buy, you know, I didn't have anything. I have no security. Mm. And somebody in South Africa t told me, if you think about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm. you know, ultimately our, you know, the basics is obviously food and water yeah. and then shelter and then I can't remember how it goes, family, yeah. or then ultimately it's self-esteem. And I think I didn't actually have any of those things. And ultimately my self-esteem suffered massively yeah. because, I, yes, I had food, okay, not didn't have any, I had food and water, and I did have shelter, but it wasn't my own place. Yeah. It was I was living on somebody's premises, and luckily I, I you know, I paid them rent and all of that. Yeah. But I didn't have real sort of support around me in terms of, you know, my friends were there, but they were, as I said, busy with their own lives. And I didn't have a job. Mm. I didn't have income. And then 
so my self-esteem suffered massively. I was sort mm. of like, well, you know, why does nobody want to work with me or why does nobody want to give me a job? Yeah. So I did sort of come back here a bit with my tail between my legs. But I think, again, like I said to you about the when um, when lockdown happened in South Africa and that sense of everybody was in the same boat. When mm. I came back here, everybody was also in the same boat because everyone was in lockdown here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came back in October 2020 and the UK was then sort of going back into a lockdown yeah, um but i was so lucky to secure a job from south africa I'd, um, i had an interview for a job there and and so i was coming back to a job which yeah, that in itself gave me a massive sense of security mm. um and then after being back for a few months and things sort of started opening up a little bit more in early 2021 beginning of last year mm. you know a few more networking things and all of that and i started interacting with people again and meeting people and everybody was saying oh we're so glad to have you back and it's great and and that gave me such a massive boost yeah. confidence boost i was like it just felt i'd done absolutely done the right thing yeah. um to come back so my like, like i say again thanks for, for just sharing that sort of that story because that you can tell that that period of line i know we sort of spoke offline a little bit about it too that's obviously quite a difficult period for various reasons especially from a mindset point of view but i i for me personally i would look at that and i know you, you sort of about looking at that period of your life and going i made that decision should i give up that security but I'm, i've always been a believer and i for you take that risk because it's better to have done something and 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 look back on it and it not worked out than to because had you had we been sitting here having this conversation and you hadn't gone back there and had that experience and that wouldn't have been part of your story and yeah. your journey and yeah. like you said it, it we get to we, we get to different parts in our life because of those experiences and those decisions we make but you've taken that risk it, yeah that particular thing didn't potentially work out but that's an experience that you've learned and it's help mold you to become even who you are now you, like you say even if it is one of the things that you take out is that how grateful you are for the position you're in now within yeah. the business community and like you said coming back into that and like i said everyone i've met that knows you speak, speak so highly of you and 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 like i said for me getting to know you been amazing keep crossing paths and then finally getting to actually chat and, and meet each other and, and with the wealth of knowledge and experience you've got from your from the banking world from entrepreneurial spark and that part in South Africa is just more of experience that you've got now to take into whatever yeah. your next role and, yeah. and that looks like. And I think that's, you, you should take a lot of credit for having that bravery to take that opportunity and go, I've taken that chance. It's not worked out because now, even more so, where you work with more entrepreneurs moving forward, you've got a different type of experience that you can help them with. Yeah, that's, that is actually very true, Sam. And thanks for... Yeah, thanks for acknowledging that because I think just what you touched on earlier as well, where I always come across as being a very confident and sort mm. of together person, under the surface I'm not. Um, mm. I do, well, I think a lot of people do, um, and it's not just women, a lot of people suffer yeah, with that imposter syndrome thing. Yeah. And I think most of my life, because from when I was a child, my, you know, my mother was sort of trying to hold herself together just to bring up two children yeah, after sure. the divorce. And... I just, I was always looking after myself. Um, yeah, mm. I looked, I kind of kept, not looked after, but was always looking out for my brother as well. But 
I was that's just how I was brought up to look mm. out, look out and look after myself. Yeah, yeah. Um so I've always been very quite sort of closed like I have this outer shell that people a lot of people don't get past. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um and I think a lot of people see me like that that I'm I'm this tough sort of and I said I know when I was in the bank I had to put on a certain persona in yeah. the bank because I was a, very much a woman in a man's world. Yeah. Um had to always be professional um, and had to, yeah, sort of be flying the, the flag for Nat West. And then, and so what, what letting that kind of go, certainly when I was in South Africa, to be more vulnerable mm. was really hard for me. Yeah, sure. And it even still is very hard for me mm. um, to open up and to let people know that I'm not, I don't always have my stuff together. No. I'm not always that confident person. It's great that people, do you sometimes see me like that because yeah. I think it's got me to where I am in um, job wise and yeah. other things. But I'm not, I'm not always that person. And I, I, but I think, like, I think everyone ultimately, we all, we all do. We all wear masks from time to time. We all, oh, there's a person, especially that social media is as guilty of this as much as we we put a, a perception of ourselves is that's just one perception oh, yeah, on that social well. media. What yeah. that looks like, I'm. I'm probably I sit on here and talk about authenticity and and stuff a lot and and I sometimes feel a bit guilty about some of the stuff I sometimes post because oh, I'm doing this and look at this and it's great and people then talk to me about um, oh you're doing so much and it's great and and there's some that's great and I do love that side of it but deep down there's some you know sometimes two o'clock in the morning working because I'm trying to get stuff done and I have my own insecurities and stuff that I don't necessarily share that vulnerability as much. I'm trying to change that narrative on here, especially from social media, what I do, even from when I talk to people and people go, oh, I'm always that, oh, yeah, fine, everything's great. Actually, things are a bit tough at the Tough. Moment, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's trying to, and I think, listening to what you're, what you're saying, I think if we can all be on the same page and all show a little bit more vulnerability it's not actually a terrible thing because it just that there's that more authenticity that comes across oh yeah that, and you get to really know and it's okay to actually go being a bit shit today mm. <laughs> i mean it's okay to do that I, 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 don't, I don't think and i think by doing that it doesn't necessarily mean oh i wouldn't then look at you and go you're a negative person now or you're you know you're, you're not a confident person because you've shown a bit of vulnerability yeah yeah that's just getting to know you a little bit more and hopefully the same with me and i think if we all i think covid helped that to a degree definitely and i'm hoping that we don't necessarily go back because prior to lockdown like you said we and you both done a lot of networking and we've all gone in networking and wear their masks yeah yeah so, yeah, oh, great. Everything's yeah, oh, so busy, so busy. <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's the same thing we were doing. Yet during lockdown, how could I possibly? I was running verbals. How could I possibly sit on a Zoom call and go? Has has the five aside football league? <laughs> oh, absolutely brilliant. So be, um, can't do anything. Can't do anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so exactly. You, had, you was forced to show that vulnerability a little bit more and forced to speak more honestly and openly. And I think um, again back to the podcast, trying to. It's great having people like yourself being able to come on and actually talk about some of the not great times. And the podcast went out on Mon um, the Monday just gone was with Tom Hooper. And it, we didn't talk a lot about business. In, in honesty, it was more about mental health and more about his, you know, it, 
grew up in an orphanage and the tough times that he's had through drugs and overdose and all bits and pieces like that. And I think if people, we can share more of our honest stories and our honest feelings about stuff, we become more connected as people. Oh, absolutely. Well. Yeah, and and what you were saying about the, you know, the community down here in Brighton, I think there is an element maybe where people are a little bit more open anyway in Brighton yeah, yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's bright, in Brighton anything goes. So yeah, no, yeah. people don't really judge you. Yeah. Um, but I think coming from the corporate world that I did, mm. I know that I was, people saw me in a certain way and even in the, in the business community. Mm. Um, people saw me in a certain way. And yeah. and maybe there is an element of where if I'm in a sort of professional environment, I will still, as you said, put on that yeah, face a little bit. Um, but the, the one thing that I think that experience in South Africa and then coming back here has enabled me to just be a little bit more relaxed and just kind of trust that things are going to work out, yeah. um, which they have done for me. You know, I'm now... Yeah. On, an, on another journey, which, you know, we'll talk about, I'm about to start another new role, which I'm so excited about. Yeah. And it wouldn't, as you've just said, I don't think I would be in this place now with this opportunity if I hadn't actually gone back to South Africa and gone through yeah. what I did. Because, yeah, it, it wouldn't have enabled me to, to appreciate a lot more of what I actually have here. Yeah. I'm so appreciative of what I have in the UK because... Yeah. I saw a very different side of life in South Africa and yeah. how people struggle there. And yeah. I'm very grateful for my life here. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. I, I, want, I want to, just before we sort of come towards the end part, I do just want to talk a little bit about, I, I, I often ask, I've been asking a lot of questions, well, I'm episode 41 now, and I often ask, we talk about failures and stuff, and I always ask about what success looks like to people. But... I, I, again, that word for me, sometimes it, there's the narrative out there that success is financial gain and what that looks like. And I'm, I'm, again, for me personally, I'm trying to change that narrative with inside me as much as I think that narrative needs to change as a whole um, out there. So more so now, I'm looking to ask and I want to find out what, what, does, what does happiness look like to you instead of like, Yeah, success. I love that question when, when you shared that. Mm. Because it definitely, yeah, I don't think I've ever actually been asked that question yeah. to really think about things in a different way. What does happiness look like? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose all of us want money in some kind of way that we mm. can do things, either buy things or go on holidays. Or, mm. But, I mean, I think, you know, when I was in South Africa and I didn't have money, obviously I wasn't feeling very happy. Mm. Um, and then I've come back here and, you know, I'm, I'm able to start replenishing my... Um, my savings through having a, a stable job. But I think what has made me really happy since I've come back is actually um, re-establishing but also strengthening friendships. Yeah. Um, because I don't, I, I actually don't really have a family. My brother is my only family and he lives on the other side of the world in New Zealand. Yeah. And I've got two little nieces who I'm hoping I'm going to go and visit them in January. Um, but so for me, my friends really are my family. Yeah. And... And I do make a lot of effort with my friendships, whether it's here or in South Africa, yeah. which is difficult when you're in two different countries yeah, sure. um, because you get caught up in your life. But yeah, I've I've actually I've strained I've actually those people that I were maybe kind of knew a little bit before I left mm. here, and now since I've come back, I've really strengthened my friendships with them, mm. and I'd really say that they are. They are my really close friends now, and those spending time with those people and interacting with them really makes me happy. Um, 
And yeah, and then just also meeting, you know, meeting people like you, Sam, who who do amazing things all the time for other people, really inspires you to also be, I think, to be grateful and to to put it puts your own um, sense of well being and happiness into a different perspective. Um, so yeah, I, I yeah, I really really value my friendships and I value the position the position that I'm in at the moment. That's amazing. It's a lovely thing to share, and I think. I think you're one again. Back to keep referring back to COVID only because it's still so relevant to, to everything we do. But um, it, relationship, like when, when I remember thinking to myself, like during lockdown, at that position, I said to me, I remember saying to my wife, it wouldn't matter if we was multi-millionaires, we'd be doing exactly the same thing, just in a big, bit of a bigger house. <laughs> yeah. we have a nicer car on the drive, which we couldn't drive, because we were not allowed to go out. Yeah. We're just surrounded by the people that you love and and friendships, family, whatever that looks like, just surrounding yourself with people you love and spending quality time with those people. And um, Again, back to myself, being guilty about looking at those things. Okay. I know that's what it should be make make uh, that's what makes me happy spending time with family and friends and doing stuff but and then yet yeah, i'm just because i'm so driven and ambitious you still throw yourself into so much work and you know yeah so it's constantly trying to check in with yourself and remind yourself because i know i i know i certainly don't get that balance right and i'm a, it's a struggle with mine but it's, it's lovely lovely to share that i think look we, we alluded to as we're coming to the end we, we alluded to the next chapter and the new challenge so yeah. please do tell us what the future holds for you, Anderson. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very excited actually. So I'm going going to work back in what I really love doing, which is working as we've talked about with entrepreneurs and helping businesses to grow. So um, on the 5th of September, I will be taking up my role as program manager for the Bright program at Plus X Innovation Hub in Brighton. Amazing, amazing. Um, very big shoes to fill with Sam Harland. Um, so Sam is moving on to do something else within Plus X, mm. which I'm sure everyone will find out about. But um, yeah, I'm really, I'm just, I'm so looking forward to it. I've been wanting to work um, for Plastex for a while um, yeah. since I, well, since even before I came back and I heard about them. And then, I, so I feel like you and I were talking when we came into the studio about, I actually feel like Plastex kind of feels like home when I come here yeah. anyway. I know a lot of the businesses that are based here and work here, yeah. um, but I know a, couple, a few of the people as well that work for Plastex and it feels even from the outside, it feels very much like a family. Um, yeah. Like everybody, I've, I've met the people I'll be working uh, with already and all, everyone's got each other's backs and yeah. it feels quite, it feels very like a very welcoming place. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I'm so looking forward to working again, as I say, with, with businesses and helping businesses and with my experience now from my current job, you know, I've got even more experience now yeah, in different sure. areas. Um, that I'll hopefully be able to add a lot of value. Um, yeah. Oh, so yeah, oh, so absolutely. I can't wait. Oh, I'm so pleased, yeah. It's really exciting and uh, what a great addition to the team at Plus X you, you'll be. So I think, Thank you. And, and it's what's lovely as well. I think, you know, obviously with Sam, because you and Sam worked together previously. Didn't yeah. You? So yeah. Again, that power of network and that power of good connections and being a good person, building those good relationships that you just don't know where that is going to lead to. Yeah, like, exactly. Years. And I think that's, but again, credit to yourself and and you know the because of those relationships you've built and being a good person and being great at what you do and then you know them opportunities are there because you can yeah. come back and and and, and build on that and oh, i'm so excited for you so thank I'm, you uh, yeah uh, i'm very excited so yeah 
5th of September. It was yeah. Really exciting. Cool. <laughs> Look, we're going to finish as always with our quick fire questions. So yeah. first one, what one piece of advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Um, I think don't put yourself into a box. Um, I think when I was an 18, so in South Africa, you finish school when you're 18. Mm. Um, and yeah, when I was 18, I had no idea what I wanted to do. As I said, I wanted to do interior design. But beyond that, and, and I, I kind of felt like I had to go to university and then I had to get a job and then I had to. Mm. And you don't have to do that. You don't have to go to university or tertiary education or get a full-time job. You don't. You can yeah. do whatever you want to. Um, you can go and travel the world for a year and, well, when there's yeah. not a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, or as long as, and I think for me, the big thing and part of the happiness thing is that I was helping other people. So, mm. you know, I've, if I'd started doing that when I was 18, maybe gone and worked for charity or done charity work or something, um, I think maybe I would have been a lot more appreciative. But I just yeah. think younger people who are coming to the end of their schooling life or whatever, just don't put yourself in a box and think you have to do a certain thing because it's you don't have to. And okay. your life will be a lot more, your opportunities, and I think your life will be a lot more wide. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, who who has been your biggest inspiration throughout your journey and why? This is like really, it was actually very difficult because I don't want to say... I don't know if there has been any one person throughout the whole thing. I think in retrospect now, and certainly since my mother died, I I have huge admiration for my mother, how she actually struggled through her life after the divorce and still managed to bring up two children. And we're, you know, we're relatively okay. You know, we haven't sort of gone off the rails in any kind of way. Um, So maybe, you know, my mother is an inspiration at certain times. And I think even um, there has been a couple of my friends that have actually been a, a massive inspiration who've overcome things. Um, it was one of my friends, in close friend in South Africa, who had a heart attack at the age of 40 wow. and completely out the blue. And she, she came through it, and, but she had a little boy at the time, and that was her motivation to come through it. And how now how I see how she's, she's progressed in her life yeah. and, and has just kind of got on with things. Um, and then, you know, there's lots of people over here, I think, who I've worked with. Some of the businesses that I've worked with have been a massive inspiration to mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah, and people sort of in the in the local community mm-hmm. as well. I, I, I love that. Um, I, listen, I, one of the reasons I started this was exactly that. I believe that we're surrounded within the business community by people that inspire us. Why I asked you to come on today because uh, because you are you're an inspiration to and will be to other people as well and 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 I think it, as I always say everyone's got a story to tell yeah I mean, where you know I listen to some of these really top podcasts that get all the billionaire yeah. top people on yeah you know um, on which are, which are great and I'm I'm inspired by them and it's fantastic but ultimately when people ask me that question I'm similar I'm actually the people that inspire me are who I'm surrounded by mm. within this amazing business community we've got here where you know there's thousands of brilliant business people entrepreneurs and just great people yeah they are they are constantly yeah love that well last one could you recommend a business book or podcast that you listen to that's maybe had an impact on you (laughs) oh actually i'm sorry to admit even though i work in the entrepreneurship space that i'm not a big reader or listener of business type inspiring books but there is a book that we, when we uh, started the Entrepreneurial Hub, 
Um, and when we were trying to install the entrepreneurial thinking in the bank, mm-hmm. um, I attended a conference, uh, maybe 2016, there was a big conference for the commercial bank mm-hmm. up in London. So there must have been three, 400 people there in, in this massive room in a hotel. And the guest speaker was a guy who has written the book called The Chimp Paradox. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah. And I can't remember his name now. It's Professor Stephen somebody. But he was the guest speaker, such an inspiring man. And I hadn't read the book then, um, but I read the book immediately afterwards. And then also within a lot of the um, workshops and sort of part of the Entrepreneurial Spark program referred a lot to this book. And and it actually, the Chimp Paradox is such, for anyone who hasn't read it, it really is such a a thing that's part of our lives. We all have that little chimp in our brain who's constantly sitting there saying, you can't do this, or you're not good enough, or you're never going to be able to, um, you know, get over that. And yeah, the Chimp Paradox is all about learning to not necessarily control it, but work with the the chimp in your brain. Um, Because, you know, at the end of the day, that amygdala, whatever it's called, is there to protect us as well from taking too many risks and doing things that might, um, you know, damage our our cell, our lives, or... Um, impact our lives but yeah I I took a lot away from the chimp paradox and and just seeing him as I say also speak in yeah. person he was hugely inspiring um, so yeah so that's that is uh, it's the a great one book. book to recommend <laughs> uh, yeah I, I know of it very well and um, yeah brilliant so well what a great way to finish listen fair enough like I say thank you so much for coming on no it's thank been, you Sam Absolute pleasure. Like I say, getting to know you a little bit more finally over the over the last sort of few months, and yeah. it's been brilliant conversation. Thank you, obviously, for sharing and being so open and honest uh, no, about especially the time in South Africa. So, um, and look, welcome back to Sussex. <laughs> great news about Plus Thank X, you. and um, like I say, what a great addition to the team, and I'm sure you're going to absolutely smash it. So, thanks. good luck I on the fifth of September. No, awesome. Thank you, and thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Amazing. Sam. And that is a wrap.